This is Fresh Faith, and we are continuing our series, this brand new series of Ephesians. And in this Bible study, we so far have only done the first six verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, where Paul sets up this beautiful introduction about the greatness of Jesus and God's lavished love on us. And here he continues that through his writing from jail to the church at Ephesus. And in this letter to them, he continues, and now we're going to talk about, uh, in this same introduction, all about the power of God through Jesus and how we benefit from that. We're going to focus on this first little phrase to start out in verse 7, where he says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. In him. That means in Jesus we have redemption. Seems like a really big, steep uh, theological word, redemption, through his blood. And that kind of can be really weird if you're not used to studying the Bible, but really all he means is through his death. And when we look at this, we want to glaze over that and be like, oh yeah, through Jesus we have redemption. We're made right with God through Jesus, through his death. But I want to take a, a look at that theological word redemption, and I want to take away all of the clout around it, all of the confusion around it, or what may seem like a theological air around it, and I want to make it so practical to you that it becomes applicable to you and personal to you so that you can better understand it, and thus it changes you and helps your relationship with God. When you go to an arcade, you can play a bunch of games, and you put some coins in, and you, you can roll the balls up and get them in the holes. I don't know what that's called. Skee-ball, maybe? You can play pinball. You can sit at, uh, I like the little thing where the light goes around. And then when it gets into your little section, you got to hit it. Good hand-eye coordination. That's kind of fun. Um, love the one where you just get to shoot basketball hoops. Like, I'm down with that. Love that. Whatever. You get a bunch of tickets. All you have are tickets. But what happens is you give those tickets to the person at the register. And you redeem them. For something of value. What's crazy about your life and my life is the tickets we are redeeming with are all of our wrongful selves. And we take them and we give them to God and he gives us life. We bring him all of our bad stuff and all of our good stuff. We bring him everything we have, which is no good because we can't get anywhere on our own. And we, he redeems us. He, we trade them in for something new. We let go of the past. We let go of our wrongs. We let go of ourselves, and he gives us himself. New life, full life, to be lived to the fullest for all eternity. And that's the hope that he gives in, re, in, in, in trade, redeeming who we once were. For all of our wrongs, he gives us all his right. And it's such a beautiful transaction. In the same way, we, we receive redemption, right? We redeem our own lives to God through the death of Jesus. It is through his blood that we have redemption, Paul says. The forgiveness of our trespasses. So not only is it a trade-off, but God doesn't hang on to those wrongs that we turn in for the goodness he has to give us. He lets go of them because he forgives us of those things. Forgives us of all of our sins, right? According to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
He, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. In other words, because he was happy to do it. That he purposed in Christ. The purpose of all of it was in Jesus. As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Now, I want to focus on that phrase right there because it can help you in big ways and help you understand a little bit more about what it means to be in relationship with God and in relationship with everybody else around you at the same time. That through Christ, God brings everything together in him. Everything. It says things in heaven and things on earth. Everything is brought together in Christ. See, when we live with Christ in us, when we live a life full of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when we live a life that looks like Jesus' life, a life where we give grace and we reach out to those that other people sometimes shun, that people belong with us even when they're outcast by everybody else, when we make room for each other's faults and then give grace and forgiveness in every circumstance, in every situation, when we live a life of love molded after the life of Jesus, it brings things on heaven and things on earth together. It brings everything together in him. It makes everything right. It puts everything into play the way it was supposed to be. It puts everything into motion the way it was supposed to be. And it brings everything together in one accord as it, as it is supposed to be, which means... If you live your life like Jesus and you allow him to live in you, he will bring together your marriage in him. He will bring together the relationships between you and your kids in him. He will bring together all things in him because everything is brought together in Christ. Meaning when we live like him, we follow him. We live according to his spirit. All things are brought together. He goes on and he says, in him, we also have received an inheritance. Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In other words, it's almost a reiteration in a completely complex way of Romans 8, 28. All things will work together to those who love him and are called according to his, there's that word again, purpose. In other words, God has already set everything in motion. Predestined is what it says. He's already put everything into motion to work out for his will. We often worry about being outside of the will of God or uh, making a wrong decision when it comes to maybe our family or our jobs. When in reality, there's nothing you can do to jump outside the will of God. God's will will always overtake you. Every wrong decision in Christ can be turned to work together for your good according to his purpose for you. That he can take everything that is even meant to work against you and turn it to work for you, not because of you. The whole emphasis here is on Jesus. The whole emphasis here is on Christ and his purpose. And God's will for your life is all made possible through Jesus. So through Jesus, everything that we do can be blessed by God. And then we can start making decisions with confidence. Knowing that the one who is for us is greater even than we are for ourselves. And so he, he continues here in him. 
You also were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, when you trust God, when you know God at this time, remember they were promised the Holy Spirit and they received it in Acts. And now they're, they're living this Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says, is not the fulfillment of the full fulfillment of the promise of God, but it is the down payment on the inheritance that God has for us. In other words, that in us that produces life is just the down payment for the eternal life that is promised to us. So every time that we live, every time that we breathe, every time that we move forward, every time that we make an action, every time that there's conviction in our hearts, every time that some part of us knows that the Holy Spirit is working and we see things and it might be coincidence, but we realize they're not coincidence. And it's the Spirit of God in us moving and working. Just remember that every time we recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that that's not even the full promise of God, but there is a fuller promise yet to come. That the Holy Spirit is all as great as the Holy Spirit's work is in our lives. Remember the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of that, as great as it is, and as full of a life that it creates, is just down payment on the greatness that he has as our inheritance in the future. What an encouragement to know that as full of a life as God wants to give us now, it's just a down payment on what he really has in store for us in the future. Hang on one second. We'll be right back. Thank you for your generosity to Fresh Faith. Your financial partnership helps us take the message and the hope of Jesus to every corner of the planet. When you donate to Fresh Faith, you are helping people meet Jesus for the first time. You're also helping people grow spiritually in their faith. And you're helping give free resources to local churches to help make a difference in communities, both spiritually, practically, and digitally. We want to invite you right now to go to freshfaith.org and donate so that you can help us change the world because together we are changing the world. All right, welcome back. Let's pick up with verse 15. Paul is still in the introduction of this letter. It's a, it's a whole big introduction full of fluffy words and preacher talk, if you ask me. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a lot going on here from Paul. It's just a lot of jumbled doctrinal theological words strung together that all just say God is really good. And his goodness comes through Jesus to you. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. You just rest in it. You just have to let it overtake you. And when it does, it changes everything. When you recognize the greatness and the great love that God has for you through Jesus. All of it made possible by Jesus, but God loves you extravagantly. That's all he's trying to say in this introduction. But he goes on and on and on. And, it. and so let's continue reading it. He says, this is why. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Let me take a moment to stop here and say it's important that when you are praying for or praying in general and someone comes to your mind, it's important to speak that out. I believe that can be the Holy Spirit putting that person on your mind. There are some times that maybe you go through life and you just think about somebody. Someone crosses your mind and you don't know why. And in that moment, you know, I need to pray for them. And in some way, shape, or form, 
I don't know how it all works. I'm not going to pretend to know how all of it works. But in some way, shape, or form, God has put that person on your heart to lift up to him. And his presence is in, is in both places with both people working on their behalf through Jesus. And when we, when it is important for us to do that as well. When we hear, when we think about those, don't let it pass by. Don't think it as coincidence of, oh, you know, that's the exact time I was thinking about you. No, no, pray for them in that moment. Pray for people in those times. He goes on, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, we call that being God, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That word spirit is capitalized as if to refer to the Holy Spirit. And what he wants the Holy Spirit to give them is wisdom and revelation, wisdom and understanding, and the knowledge of him. So understanding him more. And then he says, I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, not their physical eyes, the eyes of their heart, will be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Watch this. This is all of those things, right? All of those things. What is the hope of his calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and immeasurable greatness of his power. All those things are wrapped up and brought into focus, watch this, toward us who believe. So it looks like everything is coming to us. Again, it's this introduction of how great the love and all the good things from God are toward us. Watch. According to the mighty work of his strength. Let me, let me preach for just a minute. All the time, all, God has good things for you in store. God has greatness for you in store. God has hope for you through tomorrow. God has a purpose for you today. God has enough strength for you to get through tomorrow to give it to somebody else so they've got enough strength to get through today and tomorrow. God has all good things in store for you. Happiness, not sorrow. Joy, not defeat. Victory, not shame and guilt. He has good things for you in store. A full life, a happy life, life with purpose, life with calling, and, and, and greatness to be achieved. All of that from God is for you. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do to receive that. There's nothing you can do to achieve that. There's nothing you can believe to get that right. There's nothing that you can be to get that right. It's not in and of your power that you get those things. There is no formula to have a happy life. There's no formula to get the blessings of God. They're always flowing your way. It is not about you. That's the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is that we think it's on us. What do we have to do to achieve it? What do we have to do to receive it? What do we have to do? What formula do we have to have? Is there an order to this thing? Is there uh, uh, this mystery? Is there a formula to get there? Give me the three steps. Everybody wants the three steps. Give me the three steps. Tell me what they are and I'll do them. Okay, I'm going to pray every day. Read my Bible and memorize scripture. I'm not going to do this, this, or this other thing. There's no formula to the goodness of God. It can only be received not achieved. 
And there's no formula to receive it. There is nothing you can do to earn the favor of God. It is already yours for the taking, not because of you, but because of what Jesus has made possible through his death. Because of the life he lived and the death that he died and the resurrection of his spirit for us, in us, and through us. That is the greatness. It can only be achieved through Jesus. We can only let it overtake us. We can't go take hold of it because we have been taken hold of. It is only through Jesus' strength, Jesus' power, Jesus' achievement, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we are able to receive the glorious gift of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. There's no words we can say. There's no belief we can hold. It can only be seen and received and overtaken in gratitude. And I was talking with Andrea this morning about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is such a beautiful story. It's not real. It's not a real story. It is a story Jesus told. It's a parable he told. And he talks about a certain son, a certain man. And it's just a story he was telling to, to, make, to make a point. What's interesting about that story is the younger son that took the father's inheritance and ran with it, ran away. He went and ran out of money lived a crazy life, and then he worked on a pig farm. Not only that, he wasn't getting paid anything, so he ended up not having enough money to live. So he lived with the pigs, and he ate with the pigs. In other words, he became like the pigs, realizing that his father's servants had enough and had more and lived a better life than he was living. He decided to go back home and just to be one of the servants. He was happy with just being a servant in his own home. What's it, what I find interesting about that, that we often overlook, is this. He became the very thing that the Jewish culture in that day, the religious culture, detested. It was against kosher law to be in the presence of pigs. You, you wouldn't have done that in Jewish culture. You wouldn't touch them. You wouldn't work with them. You wouldn't um, eat anything pork. And he didn't just hang around those things. He became those things. He literally ate what the pigs ate, slept with the pigs. He became a pig. It's not like he just had the scent of the pig. He became one. He became like them. The very thing, the most detestable thing, that the religion pushed away. And we read the story, and the son comes home, and he repents, and he says, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done this. Will you accept me just as your servant? And, you know, the father welcomes him, throws a party for him, put on the best robe, put a ring on his fingers, new sandals on his feet, probably Birkenstock, just saying. But put all these things on them and, and, and treat him like a king. And we throw the biggest party, welcome home, my son has returned. And he makes him a son, not a servant. And we think, and we oftentimes uh, uh, portray that story as when we come back to our senses, because it does say he came to his senses. When he come to his senses and go back to God and we come home and repent, 
God is always waiting with open arms, ready to receive us and throw us a big party. And the caveat is the son's repentance and the son's traveling home. Let me teach you something right now that will help you and change your life and change the way that you understand God's love for you and your God's love for other people. Because the, it, that story also says that the father went out looking for him every single day. Every day, the father stood at the door looking in the distance to see if his son was coming home. The son belonged with the father. The son already had forgiveness from the father. The son had overwhelming love, everlasting love, immeasurable love, immeasurable forgiveness, immeasurable grace already be extended from the father to him while he was out living that life, while he was with the pigs, while he was a pig, while he was gone and running away, the father still had this extravagant love for him so much so that he went out looking for him every single day before he repented, before he got it right, before he determined that he was going to come back home. Coming home did not, is not what made the father's forgiveness real to the son. The father's forgiveness was already there for the son. His home was already open to the son. He already belonged with the father. Repentance was not prerequisite for belonging. He already belonged. All repentance did. All coming to the father did. All turning and coming back home did for the son was was affirm what was already in existence, what was already in place. It didn't change anything for the father. It changed everything for the son because now he understood and just proved to himself. It just let him know what was already taking place on his behalf. Had he never come home, he was still considered a son. Had he never repented, he still belonged with the father and the father would have kept looking every day because the son already belonged with him. It reiterates what Paul's saying here. All of these great things God has Toward us, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, watch, according to the mighty working of his strength, not our strength, not our doing, but his doing. It is all on God. Stop living like it's on you. Stop thinking like it's on you. You can't believe the right stuff enough. You can't get all the right doctrine enough. You can't do the right things and stay away from the right things in order to please God. God's unconditional love is already flowing toward you and toward everybody else you like and don't like. It's already flowing toward humanity. All humanity can do is let it overtake them and realize God's love for them. They can't manipulate God's love for them. They can't change God's love for them. They can only understand God's love for them. They can only see God's love for them. And they'll only see it when they turn toward God and come home toward God in repentance. It's not that it doesn't exist for them outside of repentance. It does. It's that they won't know it. They won't get to experience the life that God has intended for them to live without that. It's not that God doesn't have it for them. It's that they won't see it. But in the same way, I want you to know, that's what we are to be for other people, not just you. So not only are we not, to, are we not trying to strive to achieve anything from God, you can rest, y'all. You can chill knowing God loves you, all flawed up, 
looking like a pig, smelling like a pig, acting like a pig. God's love is relentless for you and you still belong. You are the one that needs to run home just to know that you belong. That's when you know you belong. And that's the space we're to provide for other people. See, what if in the story of the prodigal son, which I feel like relates so well to this passage, what if you're not the son who ran away? What if you're not the son who stayed and was fine? What if you're the father and we are the ones who should be out looking, making a space for others to belong who've wronged us, making a space to others to belong with God on his behalf, making a space and telling others that they're loved and they belong even if they never turn and come home. See, our job isn't just to receive God's love. Our job is to give God's love, to be God's love to the world. That's the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living within us. So today, as you go, as you do, put this into practice. Don't let it stop with you. Receive it, please, receive it. But then give it away, and it will transform the world around you. Be blessed. Yeah.